This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing, Jamie Bogner. My guest on the COVID edition remote, socially distant podcast uh, episode today is Christopher Harris, founder of Black Frog Brewing in Toledo, Ohio. Is it? It's Toledo, right, Chris? Or are you in the it's, outskirts? It is to I. It is Toledo, but we're on the outskirts of Toledo. I'm born and raised in Toledo, but we're actually located in Holland, Ohio. Holland, Ohio. Uh, I first became aware of Black Frog. I guess it was 2016 when uh, your PD, uh, PR media guy reached out and uh, shipped us some beer uh, way back in the day. You've been on the radar. We've talked to you about uh, stories for Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine since then. Uh, and I'm excited to be able to have a conversation about uh, about brewing with you. Before we do that, nearly 2,000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with GD Chillers. Innovative modular designs and no proprietary parts propel GD ahead as the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs. Breweries you recognize like Russian River, Ninkasi, Jack's Abbey, Samuel Adams, and more. Trust GD to chill the beer you love. Call GD Chillers to discuss your project today or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, Old Orchard supplies craft juice blends from the heart of Beer City, USA. As the industry blending experts, they supply major national brands and growing breweries alike. They've been the best kept juicy secret in craft beverage for years, but now the secret is out. Breweries across the board are experiencing a seamless transition to Old Orchard as their new juice supplier. So hop aboard the Old Orchard fruit train. Their sample kit starter pack is waiting for you at www.oldorchard.com slash brewer. So Chris, we normally start the um, podcast off with this kind of you know background on you. Uh, I'm curious, how did uh, you get involved and interested in craft beer and then start brewing and then kind of take that leap into the world of commercial brewing and say, hey, this is a good idea to, to open up a brewery? So this all started back in, wow, maybe 2011, 2012. Um, I was working at the Social Security Administration, and um, I've, I've always loved beer. I can't say I've always loved craft beer because um, I really didn't know what craft was back then. But That's I, how we I, all start. <laughs> it, it, that is how we all start. And uh, I got a Mr. Beer kit. I was just looking for a hobby, something to, you know, to occupy my time. Um, and I got the little Mr. Beer Kit. Um, I brewed my first beer. I bottled it um, and tasted it. And it was like, to me, it was like, wow, I, I brewed beer. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's a loose term thinking about it now to where I'm at, you know, from being a Mr. Beer Kit. But I was really sure, amazed. Sure. And uh, it just, the passion just grew from there. So from the Mr. Beer Kit, I just really wanted to know everything there was about brewing beer. I went from a Mr. Beer Kit to doing a partial mass, um, to doing a, a, you know, making my own recipes and um, just going all grain. And um, it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And so 
I was brewing so much beer, I couldn't drink that much beer, and I started giving <laughs> it to family and friends. And um, they weren't enjoying it. And and I think what happens when with all brewers, it, it kind of crosses your mind. Um, I wonder if I can do this professionally. And uh, that's when I started looking to see, you know, can I actually turn this hobby into something else? Sure. Um, I started doing a lot of research. Um, and there was a couple of breweries I modeled myself after. There's a um, a brewery in Pennsylvania. They started out in their garage also. And then there's a guy out of um, Indiana, uh, 17th Street Brewery. He started out of his garage also. Okay. Um, so those were the two that I kind of modeled myself after. And, um, or actually, there was a guy in, in New York, too, uh, Blind Bat. And so I kind of looked at them and like, okay, if they can do it out of their garage, I can do it out of my garage. Um, and so I started the process to to try and open a brewery. I knew I didn't have a lot of capital to work with. Um, so I took some money out of my 401k, converted half my garage um, <laughs> into a, yeah. Yeah, I, I converted half of it and bought some equipment and and applied for my license the the federal license came pretty easy um it was when i applied for my state license to where i kind of ran to some bumps in the road um, trying to do it out of the house exactly yeah and it was um well being out of the garage and it had to have a separate entrance and right they kind of put some well they did put some restrictions on my license because um, I only could do retail sale. Of course, you couldn't have nobody come to the house and drink, or you right. couldn't have nobody no sales at home. So they put those restrictions on my license. Um, but other than that, I started selling to major re- or you know major retailers like uh, Anderson, Churchill's. Um, those are like local retailers around here, mm-hmm. um, and the sales are just phenomenal. I I would take them beer, and they would just sell out immediately. <laughs> Well, so what size system were you brewing on at that time? Um, back then, I was on a 20-gallon system. Okay, so you're going to sell out of 20 gallons worth of beer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Real quick. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know any better. Um, sure. And I'll never forget that the guy from Blind Back gave me the advice. And I tell everybody this now. Um, if you're thinking about brewing beer, um, get the biggest system that you can afford. That, that was the, He said that was his main thing. He said, get the biggest system you can afford. If you got, and he said, if you have good beer, you're going to grow out that system. And, and sure enough, that's what it was. It, it was like I, I couldn't make enough beer to, to yeah. keep up. Um, two years went by because I was still working and I was still kind of doing that on the side. Um, sure, were just kind of testing the concept and seeing if exactly. this thing could kind of grow and become a viable thing. Yes. And... Um, you know, it, it, it just grew and grew and grew. More people knew about me. Um, and so it was time to take that next step and open up a, a tap room. Um, so I got a small business loan and um, found the location I'm at right now and started selling beer. And, it, and again, it, it's just been crazy successful. Um, I couldn't ask for a better location. Um, this is 
we we actually joke around. This is like the the cheers of Holland, Ohio. You know, it's just yeah. everybody comes here. Everybody knows everybody's name. It's just yeah, it's really cool. So you've built a kind of community focused kind of tap room model. Now you still sell beer, you know, packaged beer also. No, uh, or you, no, you, you've kind of moved away from that and now are just selling out of the tap room. Yeah, um, I'll be honest, because I was packaging everything myself. I grew to hate uh, bottling beer. And sure, so, sure. Um, it's if, certainly not the most fun part of, no, uh, of the brewing uh, no. process. Yeah, I, I just I sell kegs every now and then, um, but pretty much probably... 95% of all my beer sales are are here in the tap room. Um I get asked all the time to to provide kegs. It's just sure. it, it's just not viable. Yeah. So uh how, how large of a system and you're using your logic of buy as big a system as you can afford. How how big did you go and how what size um, do you brew at now? So I went from the 20 gallons to one barrel to now we're at two and a half barrels. So it's still a nice tight brewing all the time to kind oh, of yeah. feed, feed the tap room. Yeah. How often do you brew every week? Twice. Just Mondays okay, and twice. Tuesdays. Mondays and Tuesdays. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then do you also then uh, work in other roles in the brew house? I mean, obviously it's small business. There's lots and lots and lots to do. You're laughing um, at me, and uh, <laughs> it seems like I touched a nerve. <laughs> yeah. I, you said that you do other roles. Yeah. <laughs> Every role is my role. Okay. Um, okay. Um, yeah, there's. Are there other staff for the brewery? Yeah, I mean, there's a guy that volunteers that kind of he feels. I think he feels bad for me because I I work every day of the week. Yeah. Um, and so he volunteers on like Thursdays and, and works the tap room for me. Um, but other than that, um, it is it is all me. I'm. Oh man. I'm the. <laughs> dishwasher i'm the kegger i'm the brewer i'm the cleaner everything that that goes on in his business is is done by me there are, i'm sure a lot of people listening to this that understand the pain when you uh, describe that experience of oh, yeah. uh, of doing it all um as you kind of envisioned black frog as a brewery um was it driven by a love of specific styles or was it driven by a desire you know to serve uh customers you know what was that kind of primary motivating idea behind it or just hating your job at the social security administration that's also you know a viable (laughs) one as well we all would understand i guess (laughs) i guess there's a combination there um i I didn't enjoy my job at the Social Security all that much. This is a lot more enjoyable. But my main goal was is just I just loved making beer. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of went hand in hand to um, me making beer and me selling beer. Um, but the the end all be all is just when I'm brewing beer, it's I, I tell people I get like into this zen thing and it's just like it's just me and the beer um and there's nothing else going on and before i knew it my brew day is over with because it's just i'm i'm so involved or in tune to to making beer and it's just it's just enjoyable and so So that was like mango yeah 
so you love the process. You just I do. love you know being there with the brew kettle and, and kind of oh. um, you know coming up with a recipe, pulling your ingredients oh, yeah. together, and making it happen. Um, yeah. how, how do you just decide what uh, styles of beer to make for Black Frog? Okay, so this is another story. So in the process of um, me doing research and trying to come up with the brewery, um, and I was working with a couple of organizations. One that stick out was an um, organization called SCORE. And, um, and so they, it's like a mentorship. So it's like they take business leaders from the community to help mentor, you know, um, new business people. Yep. And um, I'm familiar with SCORE. We've had them come to our Brewery Accelerator events and present on things like financing opportunities, mentorship, right. et cetera, because, uh, you know, especially for folks that have a passion but are, don't know how to translate in, that into operational right. business, yeah. you know, right. So one of my mentors, he had gave me this magazine, and it was about brewing, and it was about um, – I'm, I'm horrible with remembering names, but it, it was a it was a brewery that was getting ready to go out of business, um, and and the gist of it was that what they were doing was they were only brewing beers that they thought people would like to drink, and so they said the last six months they knew they were getting ready to go out of business. They said they were going to brew beers that they love to drink. And when they started brewing beers that they loved to drink, then the whole business model turned around. They became more successful, and they ended up not going out of business. So I kind of took that to heart when I read that was, you know, I said, well, I'm not going to try and please anybody. I'm just going to try and please me, and I'm going to only make beers that I like to drink. And if I don't like to drink it, then I'm not going to make it. Um, which turns out to be really good for me, profitable for me, is that a lot of people seem or tend to have um, the same taste buds I have. Um, and so that's just my thing is that I, I, if I don't like a style of beer, I will not brew it. It sounds like you've kind of carved out an audience of people that like the kind of beer you like and understand yes. your passion for it. And uh, and are and find that attractive because you have that kind of passion for what you make, right? Um, how do you find that audience as a brewer? You know, it's you hang your your shingle out as you you know when you start brewing, and say, hey, we're a brewery making beer, and uh, you know that process of figuring out who's going to like it and how those that kind of person finds you um, certainly has to be another kind of challenge that you face. Um and. And in my case, it's pretty much just word of mouth. I don't yeah. do um, a lot of advertisement um, or promotions. Um, it's pretty much word of mouth. Um, people come here. They like what they have. They tell their friends. Um, or it could be a program like this to where um, people hear it and are curious about, oh, I've, I've heard of Black Frog. I've always want to try that and you know and then they come in and try it and then if they like it then of course then they're spread the word to their friends and and this is probably um a fault of mine i never was one to toot my own horn i never was one to you know brag or boast 
Um, I'm just me, and I'm just <laughs> doing what I love. Sure. Let's. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit more about some of those beers, specifically that you love and what you love about them and how you put a Black Frog spin on them. But before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Hopsteiner, your premium hop supplier, dedicated to delivering quality hops and hops products in every package. Visit hopsteiner.com for a complete list of offerings or select shop hops to start ordering today. Also, born out of a basement in Milwaukee a decade ago, Spike has grown to become a leading manufacturer of premium quality brewing equipment. So if you're looking for a reliable system for home or commercial grade nano for your brewery, this is the time to buy. Spike is offering Craft Beer Brewing listeners a special 10% off all three vessel system purchases while supplies last. Visit spikebrewing.com craft and enter the code CBB at checkout. Spike Brewing, pursue what's possible. So you mentioned earlier that you know you brew beers that you like. Um, what are those beers, and what is it that you like about this you know particular angle, the way that you make them? Um, so I pretty much like American style beers. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of, of European style beers. Um, when you say American style, what do you mean by that? Um. So like classic craft styles or classic craft style. So um, uh, an American IPA or American pale ale to where you can have a English bitter or English IPA or um, a Belgian IPA. I, I mean, I, I just like just classic styles. I just like a classic, clean, um, clean finishing beer. So you like hops then too, huh? Um, yes and no. It, it, it all depends on what hops and how it's done. I'm, I'm not a hop head. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, if you were to ask me my favorite beers, it would either be beer styles. Um, I love pale ales and I love bourbon barrel beers. Um, and then probably close, a close second would be a nice brown. And is it that, I mean, you're now talking about some significant malt component in there. Um, that sounds to be a kind of a, a through line through what you, uh, what you enjoy there. It is. Um, my beers tend to be um, a little maltier um, and a little bit sweeter um, than most beers. Uh, and it's done on purpose because that's just my taste. Um, so... If you get a, a a double IP, well, I even hate to use that example. Even just a regular IPA, yeah, um, it's going to tend to be a little bit sweeter and not drier um, than somebody else's IPA. What is it uh, that you uh, find that that extra little sweetness brings out for you in the in the flavor? Um, I, I I think it complements the hops to me. Yeah, and and this is this is my own personal take on it. Um, it adds a nice compliment to the hop, um, and it adds a nice flavor or on, on the back of your tongue towards the, towards the end, that, that nice sweetness. Um, uh, and a, a, another secret of mine that I've done, and this is just something I, I picked up on my own, it wasn't nothing anybody taught me, was that I fell in love with this um, one grain, at the, um, it's a honey malt. And I started using that in all my beers when I was learning how to brew. 
Um, I fell in love with it. So now it's like I, I don't make a beer that doesn't have <laughs> that honey malt in it. It's every beer that, yeah. that you drink of mine is going to have that honey malt. And that, gives, <laughs> and that also gives it that little bit of sweetness also sure, because of that, sure. that malt I use. Well, it sounds like, you know, you've also built a house character for your beers that, you know, where they taste like your beers. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's going to be this kind of familiarity through it. Are there uh, any areas where you've really been experimenting and excited about uh, where you're pushing into? Now, when I experiment, I only experiment within my base styles that I usually do. I usually don't um, experiment out of my base style. So, like, I've we haven't done any lagers here. We yeah. haven't done um, any Belgian styles here. No English styles here. I do an American wheat, but I use um, a Hefeweizen yeast in it. I, I just like that, that nice banana clove taste that the yeah. that Hefe yeast gives to it. Um, and we do um, a Kolsch here. Um, so I guess some German styles, um, but other than that, it's, uh, it's either uh, pale ale, stouts, porters, IPAs. Uh, APAs, uh, Browns. So, what uh, what what's what are the top sellers in the brewery? What do your customers drink more than anything else? So that's a that's a hard that's a hard question. We have such a diverse group that that comes into the tap room. So, if I was to go by style, um, IPA would probably be the top selling style yeah. out of all beers. My second top selling style would probably be a brown. Interesting. And then probably a close third would be my cream ale. And then it just it goes from there. And I probably they always want me to do it, but I do a, a sweet potato porter. <laughs> and that's 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 usually my fall beer that I usually do. Yeah. Um and that always sells like hotcakes. When you say you got a, you have a diverse uh, clientele and you know that have different palates for different kinds of beers, um, you know, what does that look like? What what does the audience in your brewery look like, and how do you find that range of of different palates and interests and, and kind of program beers for each of them? So, my clientele that comes into the brewery is probably probably ninety five percent Caucasian. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other five, you know, would be African American, Asian, um, Hispanic. Sure. What's um, the age group look like, and uh, like you know, gender-wise, men, women? Um, now I tend towards an older crowd, so my crowd is usually. I was kind of guessing that, given that uh, you know you're making classic styles like that, but uh, yeah. yeah. So probably from probably thirty-five to sixty-five. Probably the median age, probably being in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And usually couples. There's really not a lot of uh, singles that come in. I'm, I'm running through my head now. Um, <laughs> usually everybody. You that, have your regular bar fly that just pops in uh, at the same time every week for his uh, and sits down at the bar for his beer? I do. I do. Yeah. I, I mean, there are a couple of people that are single. Yeah. Um, but probably 90% are couples. Yeah. I'm curious how that breaks down when you have a couple come in. Um, you know, are there, do they order the same beers? Do they order different beers? Uh, you know, how do you see that kind of uh, 
you know, that kind of ordering thing uh, shake out? Yeah, so all of my regulars, I typically know what they're going to order. Um, just when you just said the female, they come into mind. So there's a couple that comes in. Um, they both drink. I, I Well, I know for sure she's going to drink an IPA. He, yeah. he may drink yeah. something else different, but she's definitely drinking an IPA. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, it's, it's so interesting that, like, yeah. you know, within the beer industry, we have this kind of, you know, these kind of caricatures of, of these types of drinkers. But for our, our managing editor, Joe, he uh, is not a huge IPA fan, and his wife Kelly loves IPAs. And you know, and so for any kind of rule or assumption we might come up with around you know genders and what they like in beer, like I mean, there there are no. plenty of, of ways to kind of disprove that. Oh, most definitely, most definitely, yeah, yeah. I I, I think some of the women, when I say hardcore, I don't mean they drink a lot, but they, <laughs> when I when I mean hardcore, I mean they will drink. Um, hoppier or more um, beers that have ABV, a higher ABV than yeah. some males may drink. Interesting. They are maybe a little more on the experimental tip and they oh, can, yeah. uh, handle more intensity. Huh. Yeah. That's kind of fascinating. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but first, this episode is brought to you by the Brewers Publications, publishers of Goza, brewing a classic German beer for the modern era by Fal Allen. Goza explores the history of this lightly sour wheat beer style, its traditional ingredients, and special brewing techniques. Learn about salinity, spices, and lactic acid as you experiment with Goza recipes from some of the best-known craft brewers of our time. Also, Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions give you a year of the print and digital editions of the magazine, plus access to our library of video courses, a special deep-dive email only for all-access subscribers, premium content, and all-access exclusive merchandise. Go to beerandbrewing.com and click on the subscribe button to join now. Um, it's I love that uh, your female customers are the more adventurous uh, of your customers. Are there um, you know any customers that have uh, uh, peculiar interests uh, you know or special requests or or anything that you know, take you down a, a strange rabbit hole? No, not really. No, because okay. I I <laughs> I usually cover a style that fits everybody. Um, I usually have something that's happy for somebody, you know, they want IPA or um, I usually have something that's a little bit malty, you know, if they want a, a, a brown or a stout or a porter um, or I have something which I, I call my lawnmower beer, which is my cream ale, um, which is, I guess, if you're just graduating from Bud Light you're, sure, and you're trying sure. to get in the craft beer, then this is the beer that you want to drink. So, you're since you're also pouring beers and selling beers to folks, um, you know that kind of creates a unique experience where, uh, you know, every interaction of buying a beer from you is generally also talking to the brewer and getting their perspective uh, on that beer. For your customers, how valuable is that kind of educational piece of being able to ask questions, to learn about the beer, or, or even just talk to you and geek out about it with you? Oh, I. I love it and they love it. Um, I mean, because there's a lot of times people come in and they're curious about the, the beer making process or um, how is it done or what ingredients are used. And, and since 
this is such a, a small space. I mean, I'm, I usually walk around the bar and I go back there and grab some hops or grab some grain and I'll bring it right back out to the customers and be like, hey, smell this or here, taste this. And um, I guess people really, really like that is because they're getting that that personal lesson, that personal attention, you know, from somebody that, that made the beer that they're drinking right then and there. That's really special. And, then, you know, I guess you're – even your brew house, as I as I see it uh, behind you right now, is pretty you know accessible and and relatively. There's not like a, a long giant place to take a tour of. No, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you want me to lift the camera up, but yeah, I, it's it's uh yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> and so it's all right out there, and everyone uh, sitting in there can see where the beer is brewed uh, for sure. Your process pretty, is pretty is transparent. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you but, see everything that's going on. It's almost it's almost like uh, you know eating a meal at a, a chef's table at a restaurant, you know, <laughs> where you can just sit right there and, uh, and, and see watch everything, it all, see it all happening right in front of you. Sure, sure. Um, let's let's pivot a little bit and you know talk about uh, some of the issues that craft beer is trying to tackle in a kind of uh, related to broader you know societal and cultural issues. Um, you know, obviously, you know, uh, after the murder of George Floyd and, you know, um, protests over the last few weeks, um, that subject of how we do better, you know, has kind of come up. I've watched it across social media, um, breweries on uh, a couple weeks ago on Instagram blacked out and, you know, made promises on mm-hmm. on how they, they want to listen and how they want to do better, both by customers and by the, you know, the, the industry as a whole. From your perspective, as an African American craft brewer who's been in this now for you know more than half a decade, um, how can craft beer as a broader community uh, serve people of color and also you know not just from a market to people of color because that's not the point either, but embrace diverse uh, you know members of diverse communities. Um, create experiences that are more relevant to diverse communities, make an environment that's welcoming to them, um, foster, I'm, I'm, I'm making this question too big. I'll, uh, I'll follow up with a few more, but from your perspective, um, what do you think that big challenge is that craft beer in a broader communal sense faces? And what are some of the steps that other brewers can take to help, you know, kind of widen the welcome? which is the term that we've used uh, when writing about it before. Um, so some probably some immediate steps that could be taken right now is maybe some type of mentorship. Um, and, and I like what you said, not just to market to the African-American community, but I've always felt that there needs to be more people of color and not just African-Americans, but, but all people of color um, in the craft beer industry. Um, And I think if there were more people of color in the craft beer industry, that would help diversify craft beer itself. Um, It wouldn't hurt to, to have the, um, the input or, you know, from someone in the African-American community or the Hispanic community or the Asian community, um, their viewpoint may be different than that bearded white guy that everybody sees or associate craft beer with. Um, 
and and then I think if there were more people of color in the craft beer community, it could only help the craft beer community because when you start seeing people that look like you working for these craft beer companies, um, I think people are more likely to spend their dollars with that company because they feel like they're being represented by that particular company. Um, but if all you see is bearded white guys, you're, 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 sure, sure. You you only thinking, and I, I I don't see you, so I don't know if you're a bearded white guy. <laughs> I have I have no beard. Uh, I am a white guy, but I have no beard. <laughs> but I don't think they they really pay any attention, and I don't think that's why craft beer is really targeted at African American people because they don't really see themselves. I mean, there's there's a there's sure. a, a slew of problems with why craft beer isn't targeted towards um, African-American people, but um, I think one way that could help it is if they saw more of themselves in this industry, um, then they will get more support from different communities. You know, that kind of representation really matters. You're right. And if you don't see the role models out there and you don't, you know, understand that that is a path you can follow, and it's hard to get in there. It's also hard, especially for uh, breweries that are owned uh, and operated or managed by uh, white people um, to break out of inherent biases that, you know, especially when it comes to like hiring, you know, this is something that we've written about in our brewing industry guide. Kate Bernat wrote a great story for our uh, uh, spring brewing industry guide and looking at how breweries can diversify their hiring practice to do exactly what you just said to to um, employ people and give people a voice in their businesses that look different than them like it can even be hard to get through an interview process um, you know if you've got a white taproom manager that like hires other white bearded dudes like them right um, right you know it, it can be hard to see the value and experience or not even experience but potential you know right in uh in a, a you know an employee that you know comes out of a, a different background i do like that it, you know the piece you brought up about mentorship and entrepreneurship you know that uh, craft beer as a whole can and should find more ways of fostering young people of color who have an entrepreneurial bent who mm-hmm. could and should get into business um and I imagine a few come and talk to you from time to time uh, with some sort of interest because you then become a bit of that role model and a right. potential path to follow. Um, right. You know, how often does that happen? And, uh, you know, what do you, from your perspective, what can the rest of the craft beer industry do to help those folks, you know, get a, get their foot in the door? When, when I started, I didn't really, I, I told you I had, um, I had models but I didn't have the roadmap. So I, I knew what those other breweries were doing, but I didn't know how they did it. And so I had, when I started, I had to figure all of that out myself. I had to figure, you know, what paperwork is needed for this, or how do I pay, you know, what needs to be paid for this license, or how do you obtain this license, or I, I had to lay all that groundwork myself. 
So what I have been doing is sharing that knowledge. So there's young brewers coming up that, that want to get into the craft beer game. I'm um, saying, hey, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need to um, talk to this person or um, you need to file for this application. So whatever knowledge I have or receive from me going through my trials and tribulations to, to get the brewery started, I don't want them to have it as rough as I did to get in. You know, and that that's fantastic. Are there ways that we can even go further? Because, you know, as you mentioned, without that kind of representation or without that presence in, you know, communities of color, because there just aren't a lot of craft breweries out there located in communities of color where people, you know, get into it and drink, you know, uh, right. become a part of this. Uh, you know, you have younger people that may be looking at, you know, potential careers, but not even understand that this is a thing, um, right. you know, and then especially in kind of, um, you know, with the more kind of vocational opportunities that people move into, um, you know, it's hard to steer somebody who's 18 into a brewing career right, because they're right, not even, right. they can't even drink at that point. And so, right. um, you know, and so there's even some age kind of considerations about that. How, you know, are there young people in your community, younger people, I, you know, again, we don't want to market beer to, to those that are underage, but, <laughs> um, you know, how do you kind of put that out there for folks and say, hey, listen, you know, there are almost, there are going to be, you know, 9,000 breweries uh, in the country this year. And, you know, that's a lot of potential employment if you're interested in making making beer. Um, and the industry is constantly looking for talented people that can actually make the beer and work, you know, work the machinery and think about recipes right. and, and design things. How do you, you know, again, widen that for, for young people of color to get into and look at that as a viable kind of career path? Again, it's, it's going to take the, the outreach of these bigger breweries to be willing to take a chance on someone of color um, coming in there on some type of um, mentorship. Um, there's an economical difference between, or I should say financial difference between me um, and let's say Stone or something like that. Sure, sure. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I don't have the, the opportunity to to help mentor someone of color to to get into this business. And so that's why I'm trying to say that it's, it's up to these breweries that, that have a larger platform and they can do more to, to help bring in some young person of color to maybe teach them the, the art of growing beer or teach them the how to create a recipe or uh, it's, it's going to take someone, a, a, a large brewery to, to, to take that step to, to bring I, people in. I know what I see. I know what you're saying here. And, and I, and I, I agree with you on that, that the burden of making, you know, of mentoring and, and, you know, can't, fall on a, a single a solo owner operator like you you're right, wearing right. a million hats right now right. trying to make the beer run the business serve the beer handle all of your you know tax payments right. you know, get all of the legal ducks in a row 
and so you know your bandwidth is pretty limited but uh, but there are breweries in the world of craft beer right now that do have some of those resources and can uh, could put together more aggressive outreach and hiring programs to not just accept people that come through their door but actively go seek out those potential yes. people that um, that could imp- help improve their business and be real assets to their businesses in the future right and and who knows what that person that they bring in could bring to the table or how it even changes their life i mean some of these children or or you know young adults aren't in some of the best situations so who knows if if they bring in this 21 year old who knows how it changes that person's life forever um it it, it only takes one yeah it's just, yeah i 100 percent agree um in terms of craft beer's relevance in communities of color uh you know are there things that you think the overall like in terms of the products people make the way it's marketed the attitude that breweries typically take around it where things could improve um to kind of broaden the appeal uh or and not just broaden because the idea isn't to make one thing for everybody but it is to find people that align with the specific things that they like all across this kind of make that spectrum big enough to to encompass everything like uh you know are there are there practices or are there ideas or are there kind of um you know biases that you find in craft beer in general that uh, would be good for brewers to to work on and overcome no no biases my thought on craft beer in minorities areas is that uh, it it needs to be accessible I, if i was to go to a corner store where i grew up at um, in the hood uh, there's no craft beer in that store. The only thing they're selling is malt liquor. Yeah. They're only selling Old English or Miller's Bud. Uh, they're they're not selling. Uh, there's not going to be any craft beer in there. Um, so I think one step that breweries could do is maybe have a craft beer that's accessible to to that type of a crowd. I guess a good example, to me, a good example of that is uh, Solid Gold by Founders. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a it's it's a great um, alternative to to Budweiser, um, but it has a lot more flavor and it's at a price point that would be conducive with um, an urban neighborhood. So maybe that might be something that they would look at at trying to market in a in a in a minority neighborhood to to bring more people of color to craft beer but it's funny that's you not use, seen. it's funny that you use founders as a as an example of that given that they've had some of their own uh you know challenges with uh with yeah food, yeah, you know, yeah and yeah. i think you know that that becomes an issue that uh you know the breweries of that scale face that uh when it comes across as inauthentic when it comes across as you know, that's true. Uh, a white or a shareholder owned, you know, yeah. white managed company that's just trying to sell products to the African-American community. I mean, that's just a much less compelling uh, equation. Very, 
you know. Good point. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but but having said that, there are plenty of cause-oriented, um, you know, uh, products that uh, that you know large-scale breweries could develop in conjunction with uh, you know communities of color of, of various mm-hmm. sorts in order to create some authenticity and relevance for those things, right. and also benefit those communities. You know that. Uh, you know, we can think creatively about this without just having to think about it in, you know, in, um, you know, marketing terms of how to sell more beer to more people. Um, and, I, and I like, you know, I like that idea that you brought up, like, we need to figure out how to use this kind of broader tool to also enable and, and bring up, um, you know, uh, more businesses from within the community right. itself. Um, are there, uh, you know, is, is there... You know anything? Um, you know any other takeaways that you might have for for those of us out here in the broader world of craft beer about um, what we should be paying attention to and how we should focus and uh, how we can uh, you know listen and uh, and do better at this at at brewing beer or just being people? <laughs> all of the things. All of the all things. of the things. I mean, being um, people. I guess that that's a good point. That this is just about being a good human being, and uh, you know, and reaching out and uh, being open and listening and everything else. But uh, keep asking questions. If if you don't ask, then you won't know. It, it there needs to be an open dialogue between everybody, and don't be afraid of of the answer. Once everybody understands where people are coming from I, I think we have a chance to heal and to come together all as one I guess in closing I guess we just all need to work together um, and try and work everything out well I appreciate you talking to me about this I know you know it's a it, we're, we're having this conversation because like I said brewers want to listen and in order to listen we've got to listen to you know voices that come at it from a, you know maybe a slightly different viewpoint than ours and uh, and so that's going to have been our goal with this to to back up and listen a little bit and see um, you know if there's some other viewpoints that we can take into consideration as we, as we think about what we do so um, Chris if people want to learn more about uh, Black Frog Brewery where, where can they learn more about you? Um, so you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, the Twitter handle is Black Frog Brewer, not Brewery. Um, and you can go to our website at uh, www.blackfrogbrewery.com. Cool. Nearly 2,000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with GD Chillers. Old Orchard supplies juice blends from Beer City, USA. Hopsteiner is your premium supplier for quality hops and hops products. Spike is your source for reliable home and nano systems. Put Goza, brewing a classic German beer for the modern era on your reading list. And Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions are the best way to support this very podcast. Christopher Harris, Black Frog Brewery, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Cheers. Thank you so much for having us. Cheers. I should have had a beer. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.